Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are joined by the head superintendent at Apenaki Golf Club, Robert Searle. Uh, Robert has uh, been involved with the Maine Golf Course Superintendents Association for some time now as well, and he's he's heavily involved in the, the Maine golf scene, I guess. So, Robert, we're, well, we're uh, thankful to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, uh, pleasure being here. And I've been listening to you guys' podcasts. I love it. And, uh, you know, I'm a golf course superintendent, but I'm, I'm even more of just a fan of golf and the industry in general. So I, I just I love the diversity of all your guests, and it really is a testament to what Maine golf is all about. So thanks for having me. Yeah, we're having fun with it. And uh, I guess I say us, but Zach isn't able to join us today because he's stuck in about a foot of snow up there at Sugarloaf. Yeah. Um, but we'll uh, we'll try to do our best without him, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt. So, um, so Bob, if you could give us a little background on you know how you started in the game and sort of came to be at, at your role at Abenaki, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was kind of born into this game. Both uh, both sides of my family uh, were into golf. My dad was a golf course superintendent at Cape Arundel in uh, in Kennebunkport for almost thirty years. And so I grew up on the, uh, the maintenance side of the business. I loved uh, going to work, you know, with my dad and, uh, you know, hanging out with the crew, working on the, on the golf course. Uh, back then, it was a manual irrigation system. So occasionally I'd go in and, and night water with them, and I just loved it. So uh, from there, I went on, you know, through high school. I, went, I worked at uh, Webb Hannett down on Kennebunk Beach uh, for Greg Holder who's still the superintendent there, um, ended up getting a business degree because, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be in golf, but I also wanted to stay in Maine, uh, in southern Maine, and just not a lot of opportunity. You know, guys tend to stay in their positions for a long time and, and stuff. So uh, kind of went that route and um, ended up going to UMass for turf. Um, an opportunity as the assistant here at Cape Arundel or at uh, Abenaki opened up and uh, that was in 2009. So I came here and uh, worked my way up the ranks and uh, been the head superintendent since 2012. Yeah, it's so. a great, uh, great story there. And, and mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit more about, you know, working with your dad growing up and some of the things I guess you learned from him and then obviously taking over the ropes. Yep. Well, it was really cool. I mean, you know, my dad is a, uh, he's also, he's a main golf hall of famer. Uh, he was the, uh, I think the second golf course superintendent to get inducted after Roger Lowell. Um, and so, you know, dad was heavily involved in the main golf course superintendents association. Um, his crew loved him. He was a, 
a great manager. And uh, so it was just a fun culture at, at the golf course, which I loved about it. Um, and then of course, you know, having the president of the United States be a member there uh, was, was really, really pretty cool. And all the celebrities that would come and, um, and whatnot, that was, that was pretty, pretty cool experience, all that. So, um, and, you know, dad works from, for me now here at Abenaki, he's, uh, you know, close to 70 and, but he's just loves, he still loves being part of the crew and the brotherhood and getting out there doing course setup early mornings and, and just kind of coming in and doing his work and going home. So I get to work with him every day. It's awesome. I love it. Do you recall the first time you played Abenaki? The first time I played was 2009 after I started working here. Um, at that point, um, you know, the, the club was kind of trying to come around, you know, get the conditions better. Um, so, I mean, we've come a long way as far as course conditions and we've done a lot of projects and, and whatnot, but I, yeah, I remember it. It's just being stunned at the views and the setting and all that. So, well, we've, we've heard it come up several times in our podcast now. And even before that, you know, I had, I had heard really good things about it. I've never played it. Um, and as far as I know, Zach hasn't played it either, but you know, just looking at, uh, obviously you could look at Google earth and kind of take a, a shot mm -hmm. over at the top of it. But, uh, even the photos that you put out, you're pretty involved on Instagram and I love the photos yep. that I'm seeing there. That course looks, uh, it almost looks similar to, um, you know, it has, it has some of that Prout's neck feel, but mm -hmm. also a little bit of that Samoset feel too. I don't, I don't know if that, if those two kind of go in line with it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Uh, you know, definitely the Prout's neck feel, um, for sure. Very similar clubs. Um, and the views, you know, Samoset views are, are unbelievable. And the same goes, the same goes here. So, yeah, you know, it's, you mentioned bringing it up on the podcast. I was listening to the Seth Westcott uh, episode and he had mentioned Abenaki is one of his top five courses. And uh, I said, wow, I'm kidding. I like that. Well, that's, cool. that's a, that's a testament to the work you've done, obviously. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so it's a private club and I, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of information out there on it. I gotta be honest. I did. I tried to do as much research as I could. It sounds like it was, uh, put together back in the early 1900s. Is that correct? Yeah, it was founded in 1898. Um, and it was, you know, founded by Biddeford Pool community members who were looking for more, you know, social uh, things to do around town. Um, and it started off as, I think, six holes. So we had six holes um, and, you know, most of the land was all donated. Um, so at that time we only had had room for, for six holes. And then, you know, president Taft, uh, visited his sister who had a house here in Biddeford pool and they wanted to present a full nine hole course for him. So they added three more holes. Um, I guess that would have been, I don't know, the twenties. They uh, didn't build a big bunker for him. No big bunker. No. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he went further north after he stopped here, but he came here by boat on the presidential yacht and, uh, and stayed. Um, so that's when it became the full nine. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of information out there. It's a very private, you know, private club. And so we don't have any website and, you know, the, 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 the leaders here kind of like to keep it on the down low for the most part, you know, so. That's, but I've been, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the feeling I've gotten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of neat in that, in that regard is a lot of kind of mystique mystery about it. So, um, so, you know, it's right there sort of on the ocean. I mean, the, the views are exceptional and, mm -hmm. um, how many members do you guys have there? There's, uh, probably about 400. There's a lot, you know, you, it's more than a lot than you think kind of, you have to live in Biddeford pool to be a member. Um, there's only so many, so much land out here, only so many houses, but, uh, you know, a lot of family memberships, a lot of working age, uh, families who just come up for a week in the summer or two weeks. And, um, so there's a lot of people, they're not all here at once, you know, they, yeah. they kind of come and go throughout the season. Um, yeah. They've been coming here their whole lives, you know, and most of the time, most cases, it's multi-generations, you know, some, some families, uh, were here when the club was founded. And, um, so they just love it here. They're all like, they just, they're such great people and they, they love, they so appreciate the work we do and, um, very fortunate to work for, for the people that are, that are members here. Well, if house sales go up in Bitterford pool, it's, uh, you'll know why after this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. And, you know, obviously some of the, I guess, more prestigious clubs around the world are kind of have that sort of exclusivity, but it just also the feel and the vibe that, you know, playing on the side of the ocean there. I mean, that's, it's really cool. And, um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, your time at the club there and, Mm -hmm. and some of the, I guess, renovations that you guys have done over the past uh, decade or so. Yeah, we've done quite a bit. We've rebuilt, you know, a green that had drainage issues, our fourth green, which is way out by the point. Um, probably the best view on the golf course, fourth green overlooking the ocean. Um, built, built some tees to lengthen the course a little bit. It's, you know, 2,900 yards. So it's rel relatively short. Um, we've probably, you know, it was probably – 27 five before that before we lengthened it a little bit um we re rebuilt all our bunkers um complete renovation um we also have two uh croquet courts um really big eight thousand square feet so bigger than your average green i'd say um we've completely rebuilt those um and just a bunch of little stuff you know opening the course back up there's a lot of invasive plants out here uh honeysuckles a major one um extremely invasive and it's kind of was choking a lot of things out making the property smaller um and it's a lynx course so we kind of want it to to remain that way so we've done a lot of a lot of brushwork just opening things back up um you look at some of the aerial photos of, of I've da i dated one great aerial photo we have to uh to like 1929 and it's just, it looks like just one big windswept dune 
you know, very little vegetation. I can only imagine what the views were like back then. There was quite a bit of, of you know, forest and mature trees out here now, but um, it must have been spectacular. Um, we abut the main Audubon property, so they own like 20 acres um, right next to us. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of woodland over there, but it's, it's pretty much wide open link style, a lot of high fescue areas. Um, so it's pretty cool where we've come and, you know, I've had members say, Bob, you know, before you guys came on, I was almost ashamed to, to have guests, you know, I was, I was almost embarrassed to bring people here and now. I bring people and they just, they want to stay. They want to come back. They love it. You know? So it's, uh, that's, that feels good when you get comments like that. Well, I, you know, I don't, I think it can't be overstated. I mean, what a great job. The supers, um, you know, anywhere obviously, but obviously the ones in Maine, the, the work you guys do to get the course prepared in the spring and, um, throughout the summer when it, everyone's playing at all the same times and it's super yeah. busy and you guys are there at, you know, four or five in the morning. And then sometimes you have to come back later in the day because you haven't had rain in a month. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then obviously getting it ready for the winter. It's, it's, uh, it's not a super long season, but I'm sure you guys are working year round. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and you're right. I mean, it's a, it, it can be a challenge, you know, and as you mentioned, it's a short season. So, um, you know, if there are any winter issues coming you know, in the spring coming out of winter, um, it's, you know, there's not a lot of time to, to get prepared or, or to get things back into, into playing quality, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, our superintendents, they work their tails off and, uh, being a short season, we really give it our all, you know, it's long days. It's, it's, um, some sleepless nights, you know, it's, it's a grind, but, uh, you know, I love it. I love doing it. I love everything about it. So, it, you know, it's almost, it's almost not even like work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's great too. Cause you know, you always get feedback like, you know, all oh, this, this bunker's too wet. We heard one the other day at, um, mm -hmm the club we're practicing it out here and this member walked by me and he said, he said the practice bunker was too wet. The practice bunker. I'm like, I couldn't stop oh, yeah. laughing over that. Yeah. Oh, we, man. we got plenty of comments, you know, like that too. And bunkers, especially this year without bunker rakes. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, golfers want consistent bunkers and you take rakes out of the equation. It's makes it even that much harder. So well, yeah, I mean, most of the bunkers in Maine that you get into, I, I'd say, I'd say at least half of them tend to be on the firm side. So you got to learn to be a bit more of a digger up there in the mm -hmm. in Maine to, to get out of the traps. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the day in the life of a super, I guess it's, you got a lot going on and not to mention all the, you must have a repair guy on staff unless you do that yourself. I do it myself. Yep. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a mechanic. Most, you know, I would say most golf courses have a mechanic on staff. Um, I wish I do wish I had one, but you know, being, having a smaller fleet being nine holes, it's not, you know, it's manageable for me. Um, you know, a typical day for me, I get here early, you know, five ish and, and get the equipment ready, you know, for the morning. Um, then the guys go out, 
do their mowing and I'll check in on them. I might have some meetings, I'm scheduling irrigation, scouting for diseases, pests, other issues, um, you know, managing the crew, working on equipment again. So it's, it's an, it's a, it's a action packed day. You know, there's never, there's never a dull moment. And one thing that, you know, our listeners and, and, uh, you know, people playing these courses might not be fully aware of is the, the involvement you guys have with your towns and then obviously uh, the state government. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I guess that rings true with what you're doing with the main golf courses, uh, mm-hmm. superintendents association. So can you talk to us a little bit about your involvement um, with that association? Yep. So again, going back to my dad, he was very involved. He's a past president of the Maine Golf Course Superintendents Association. Uh, so naturally, you know, when I became an assistant, I joined the association and, and uh, began involving, getting myself involved in active roles and eventually got on the board of directors. Um, and the committee that I was in charge of is the, the Maine Turf Conference Committee. Uh, so we, we do a conference every year for continuing education. We bring in, you know, edu- uh, university researchers and other experts. Um, and from there, you know, I, I um, worked my way up through the officers positions, became the president uh, back in, what was it, 2016. So I was president of the association in 2016 and 2017. And at that time, uh, you know, there was a lot of local regulation going on and things up in Augusta. Um, so I became really involved in advocacy, um, going to a lot of town council meetings and going up to Augusta and providing testimony about what we do and how we professionally manage our facilities. Um, and I'm still doing that today. There's a lot of it. Um, you know, the ones we were really active on back then was South Portland. They uh, passed a, a pesticide ban on private property. Um, they exempted golf, but with the except with the stipulation that they had to become Audubon certified, which takes time and money and resources. Um, and since that time, you know, Sable Oaks closed, shot right down. And that was really a uh, that was really a bummer for us because Sable Oaks was a a great example of environmental stewardship benefits that golf courses provide to their community. Um, you know, that area of South Portland's probably one of the most developed places in the state. You get the main mall right there, dealerships, strip malls, um, the Long Creek watershed ran right through the course. Um, they did water quality testing where they found the water entering or exiting the golf course was as good, if not better than where it entered the golf course. Um, so, you know, turf acts as a natural filter. And, uh, so yeah, that, you know, now it's going to get developed. There's going to be more buildings, more asphalt. Um, so yeah, that, that's a bummer, but so there's always stuff going on local at, you know, at the local level we're dealing with, but this upcoming legislative session we're about to enter, there's, you know, there's probably a dozen bills where, you know, we're worried about that's gonna, that could impact, you know, our, our industry. So we're keeping a close eye on that. And I also, you know, I'm also on the national level too. I'm, I'm on the, the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America's uh, Government Affairs Committee. And we're uh, always, you know, advocating for golf at a national level. Um, 
So we're communicating with our representatives, talking about the benefits of golf, the economic, you know, golf's a major economic industry in Maine. And it doesn't get the recognition it deserves, um, but we're always out there trying to, trying to promote it and, uh, and get the word out, you know. And you look at a year like this uh, with the COVID situation and, and what golf meant to people, you know, um, new people taking up the game. Um, I don't think it can be understated how important golf is, you know, to people, to the, to the economy, to, to a lot of things. So. Yeah. I mean, it was up, but they said 30 to 40% in our state. Yeah. And I think that that was probably on the high end across the country, but it definitely was up in pretty much every mm-hmm. area from what, from what I've heard. But yeah, I mean, that's just incredible. And, um, you know, it's just, it puts more pressure on you guys because you got to keep the courses, uh, you know, make sure you have time to get out there and keep them in tip top shape. But man, I mean, it's, uh, it was a crazy year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a battle keeping up with all the divots and and raking bunkers, but you know, we also want people to come out and enjoy themselves and that's what it's all. That's why we do what we do. Um, so now I heard you, uh, you guys also sort of started this grassroots ambassador program where um, I guess uh, members of the, the golf course association are, are working with um, leaders from across the state. Is that right? Yeah. So our grassroots ambassador program, that's a program from the, from the GCSAA, our national association. And they, yeah. um, they partner golf course superintendents with their, uh, their federally elected uh you know, elect, elect, um, excuse me, federally elected officials. So I'm assigned to, uh, Senator King and the whole goal is just to build relationships, uh, talk about the industry, um, hopefully educate them a little bit about what we do so that when, you know, issues come up, uh, they'll have at least some background. They'll have someone that they could ask questions. Um, you know, Hey Bob, there's, this is being presented you know, at this committee and I don't know anything about it. I know you're a professional. We've talked before. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We want to be people that our elected officials can come to for information. Um, Cause there's a lot of misinformation out there about, about golf courses and golf course superintendents and what we do, how we manage our facilities. Um, you know, most of us are, are outdoorsmen. We're, we're environmentalists ourselves. That's why we, that's why we're in this business because we love the outdoors. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a real successful program and all four of our elected official representatives are, are, uh, having assigned superintendent in Maine. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's great that they can sort of put a face to, uh, you know, and have someone to, to speak with. And, um, you know, this year was especially challenging with the, the shutdown early on. I think it was, what, at least three, three weeks or a month that the golf courses were, were closed at the beginning of the spring. Um, yeah. You know, obviously the, the weather and the conditions still weren't that great anyway. So, it, right. it, you know, it kind of worked out. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was still, there was still some sort of debate there about, you know, whether they should open or not. But um, mm-hmm. that's, that's great that you guys can at least make those connections and, and not always feel like you have to ring up the government or something when something goes wrong and all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I got to give uh, Brian 
at the MSGA a lot of credit for his advocacy this spring and working with the governor's office and Department of Economic Development and keeping, you know, relaying all that information to the golf courses. He just, he did a super job. You know? Yeah, he, he really did. Yeah. Um, and you guys also have some scholarships as part of the program too. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. So we host a scholarship and research tournament every year. Um, and the funds for that go towards uh, scholarships. So we give, we give a few, we give, uh, we give one, we give a scholarship to any uh, interested person that's had a, you know, an active role in golf, you know, they could just be a golfer, but they have to be going towards uh, the turf management profession. Uh, we also have one for family members of, uh, of MS, MGCSA members. And then we also have a uh, one for, it's called the Roger Lowell Scholarship for, there's a uh, winter school for turf management at University of Massachusetts, world renowned. Um, it's like nine weeks straight um, after, the, after the new year. It's going on right now. Um, so we usually send one or two uh, young adults to that. A lot of times that are people who are on the staff, um, you know, just young greenskeepers working on the crew who want, who, see a future in the industry and want to further their education. Now, have you had any of these scholarship recipients go to school or let's say UMass with that scholarship and come back and work in Maine? Have oh, you yeah. Seen that? Oh, that's yeah, awesome. There's a, there's a lot of them. A lot that's, of them. That's awesome. That's um, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool that, that you're seeing that sort of turnover. And how, how long are the scholar, how, how long have you guys been having those scholarships? A uh, long time. I mean, well before my involvement in the association. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you guys are seeing the the benefits of that and that they're able to come back and, yeah. and work. Okay. In. Are, any head supers that have, have gone through that process? Oh yeah. Yeah. Quite a few. I mean, um, you know, the super at Brunswick, super at Valhalla, um, Willowdale. Yep. There's been, a, there's been a lot, you know, like I said, that, that winter program is very high regard, you know, held in very high regard. And UMass is one of the best turf management schools in the world. Um, they have a full research facility in Deerfield. Um, I don't know how many acres it is, but there's a lot going on there. Um, some of the most renowned uh, researchers and professors studying, you know, insects, diseases, turf grass physiology, turf grass breeding. Um, so it's a great, it's a great turf school and, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of superintendents in Maine went through there. There's a lot of information you guys got to learn when you guys go down to those schools. There's a ton. There's a ton. <laughs> and, you know, they don't really teach you everything either, you know, like, yeah. uh, like you know, business management, you know, yep. you think of the money that we're, that's in our budgets, you know, I mean, it probably in Maine, it probably ranges from you know, a hundred thousand to up to a million dollar budgets. Um, and if you, if you convert that into terms to a, a, that's a, that would be a good size, small business, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're managing, you know, we're managing our budgets, we're managing people, we're, we're managing relationships with, with members, with leadership of the club, with uh, members of the community. Uh, they don't teach you that stuff in school, you know? Yeah. Uh, not in turf school anyway, but. 
So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take a turn here with you, Robert. How about the summer of 2015? Something uh, pretty cool happened to you. Can you tell us about that? You did your research. (laughs) Uh, A little bit, a little bit. So I, uh, I flew across the country in June and uh, volunteered for the 2015 U S open at Chambers Bay. Uh, I had met the superintendent through Twitter. Um, and we just kind of followed each other for a while. And I was following, you know, when they're prepping for, for major championships, you know, it's like a five-year process. They're, they're doing all kinds of work, just getting ready. Um, so it was a lot of fun following him. And, and that's a Lynx course, as I'm sure everyone knows. It's all fine fescue, which is the grass uh, variety. And that's what Abenaki is, too. So we're a Lynx course, fine fescue, right on the, right on the coast. And I said, hey, that'd be a you know, a great opportunity. I don't know when another major championship is going to be hosted at a Lynx course, you know, in the United States. So I'm getting, I want to get in on this. And uh, Josh Lewis, the, the golf course superintendent there, got me on board. And so it was just an awesome week. I'd so you were there for, you were there for what, seven, eight days, something like that? Seven days. Yeah. So, well, I was there for eight days. Uh, so I flew in on a Sunday and we had our first shift Sunday night. Um, and then we were doing split shifts all week mon- uh, in the mornings and then after play uh, in the evenings. Um, and then on Sunday, you know, back then, I don't think it is now, but it's an 18 hole playoff the next day. Um, so I'd love to go through that final, uh, that final round, the final few minutes with you. Um, but I, you know, Jordan Spieth ended up winning that day and we didn't, we didn't have to come back on Monday. So I flew home Monday, <laughs> Monday night, but we, so we were all just to the left of the 18th green and uh, you know, Spieth, I think had maybe a, a one shot lead and Dustin Johnson uh, hit a really close approach shot. You know, it's par five. He was, uh, or might've been playing a par four, the, the 18th hole there that day, they were, they, they were switching the pars. So mm-hmm. I think it was a par four, but he was close to the, to the pole with a, you know, with a birdie putt. And, uh, and he, you know, he missed that putt, which he should have made. Um, and actually, you know what, come to think of it, that putt was for, for Johnson to win it. All right. So he makes this putt, he wins, we get to go home. We don't have to, we don't, you know, it was a long week. You know, we didn't really want to work another (laughs) She's like, you're like, I don't care who wins this thing. Just end it already. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he missed the putt and, uh, you know, we all thought he was going to make it because it was only a few feet and we were like, oh man, and he just had a little tap in, you know, and we were like, man, he's going to, he's going to tap this thing in. We're coming back tomorrow for a whole nother shift, do this all over again, you know, for the, I don't know, 12th time this week. Uh, and then he missed that short putt that yeah. tap in basically. Yeah, and, uh, since then, since then they moved it to like what is it a four hole playoff now? Yeah, Each, yeah. It's so it's so weird. Each major has their own playoff now, and it's like it's, kind of <laughs> it's like summer two, summer three. It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I remember that Tiger Woods Rocco Mediate. Uh, oh, that was great. That was, I mean, I love that. I kind of like that eighteen hole format. I just didn't like it that. You know, you're just glad you weren't there. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. So I rolled greens that week. I was on I was on the greens roller. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that that was kind of a crazy week though. I mean, I mean the the tournament coming down to the end obviously with Jordan and Dustin and 
I mean, Jordan was at the top of his game at that point. He's making mm-hmm. putts from everywhere, it seemed like. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he's kind of fallen off the last few years. but And then you got Dustin that was still, uh, you know, at the top of his game and, uh, you know, a few other guys in the running that week. Tiger missed the cut. I think he was, like, yeah. shot like a million over. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the course took a little flack. Uh, yeah. The greens, some players called it broccoli greens, which mm-hmm. – if they've, I mean, what if they never played on POA before? I don't, I don't know if that's like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm watching them putt and I'm like, Oh, it looks like Maine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was the greens, you know, when you got there and you're on the greens in person, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't as bad as they were making it out to be, you know, and they're all playing the same, the yep. same golf course. Um, so, yeah, it was probably a little different from what they're used to, but you know, what did you know what did speed what was the winning score? I mean, yeah, I think he was 5 or 6 under, I want to say. I yeah. think that's Yeah, I know it was pretty pretty low for US Open and Yeah. Um you know, I, I it was definitely a, a different type of US Open course. I don't know if they'll ever go back there based on their their recent trend. Yep. And they did. They did. Uh, they did just get like a mid am, or they got a pretty good, a pretty big uh, USGA event again. I think they might be working back to it, and they also renovated their greens. Uh, so instead of it, they tried growing fine fescue out there, but the Pacific Northwest is notorious for you know all poa everywhere. Yeah. Um, it just grows so good in that region. Um, so they were having a hard time keeping the poa out of the greens, uh, and that's what happened with the U.S. Open. And then they decided, hey, you know, let's stop fighting this losing battle. And we're just going to sod these things to straight POA. And, and POA makes a great putting surface. Um, it's a little more challenging to manage. But um, if you do it right, it's, it's a fantastic surface. So I think they may have solved that issue. Um, but, yeah, it was a really cool property. And, and uh, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, like I said, I I don't know if they're gonna go back there. I mean, I, I I saw some comments when they you know they recently changed the site of the PGA from um, mm-hmm. Bedminster, and people were like, "Oh, you got you got bring it to Chambers Bay," <laughs> all that out there. So, um, well, people love it. I mean, you you, I follow them on you know I follow Chambers Bay on on Facebook, and you know people just they just rave about it. The locals love it. Um, everyone just seems to have so much fun there. I mean, it's, of course it's different public play versus the pros, but I don't know. Uh, I think it was like mixed, mixed feedback from the pros. I think some of them really enjoyed it and other ones said, eh, yeah. What were you able to, to take any time to get out on the course and watch a little action or every day? Yeah. What was your, what was sort of maybe one moment that stood out to you? Well, uh, the one moment that stood out to me was it was actually, we were working on uh, the night shift. It was like maybe Tuesday or it was probably Tuesday. And um, Tony Finau had just got into town and he was doing his first practice round and he was up on the, uh, the eighth hole, which is a par five right at the top of the property. Um, and I couldn't see him because there were some trees around the tee and I was on the hole before him, but I kept hearing him. He was just launching balls. And I could not believe the height 
and the distance on his drive. And I'm like, holy cow. It, it looked like the ball was like exiting the atmosphere and then coming back down. Um, and then I found and saw it was, you know, it was female. Um, so just their skill level, um, how good they are, you know, it was just, just a whole nother level. I mean, I had, I'd never been to a professional event before, mm-hmm. never seen them live, you know, you oh, see wow. them on TV, but it's a little different when in person. And then the, the other thing that stood out was I was watching Tiger tee off. Um, I can't remember what hole, but I was maybe a hundred yards in front of him. Of course, thousands of people around the tee. And um, just as he's addressing the ball, I look over and everybody's holding their phones up. Thousands of phones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Taking a picture. You know? So uh, I ended up getting a picture of all the people getting a picture, which was kind of cool. <laughs> um, That's pretty good. Yeah. And then, you know, rolling, like when I rolled the 18th green, being surrounded by a, a stadium, basically. Um, you know, that was kind of surreal because golf is played out outdoors and it's quiet and serene and peaceful. And, uh, you know, you got fans in the stands yelling, roll that green, roll that green, or change that <laughs> you know, it's just it's a whole different thing than what we're used to. It was really, uh, it was, it was just surreal and, and a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like, uh, uh, 16 at Scottsdale when they're mm-hmm. booing people for missing the green by a foot. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's, that's a really cool experience. And uh, I mean, as you said, the amount of work that goes into that and preparing a course for a major championship, that's, you know, it's like a three to five year process. And they're, I mean, once, once the USGA or PGA, um, where the open kind of puts uh, puts that out there that, Hey, we're going to be going to this course. I mean, they're preparing for years and, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, it's just like, like the course at Bedminster, they probably were about halfway done and getting ready. And now they're going yep. somewhere else, but it just, uh, the level of, of work and preparation that goes into it, it's, it's pretty incredible. And then by the time you guys get to that week, the amount of work you guys have to do, Yep. Um, I mean, just for instance, uh, Chambers Bay, I think had a staff, you know, a grounds maintenance staff of 50 people and they brought in a hundred volunteers. So the whole staff load was 150, uh, people taking care of the course. It's like, how do you even manage that? It's like, okay, you go that way, you go that way. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was an orchestra. I mean, it was, it was wild. When we rolled out in the morning, it was like just utility vehicle. I mean, it was like a mile long, (laughs) <laughs> trail of mowers and utility vehicles the bunkers there were were huge huge yeah. tons of bunkers bunkers everywhere and they're massive so the bunker crew was like you know a third of the of the volunteers it was like you know 50 people it's crazy um, yeah, yeah that's a yeah. giant it's a giant property right i mean it was mm-hmm. it was like 70 i think i remember it was like 7500 yards and like i mean jason day had like a he had some stuff going on vertigo, I think. Yeah. He collapsed on the ninth hole. Yeah. People were just like exhausted after their rounds from walking that golf course. It was unusually hot that week. Um, I would say every day highs were in, you know, the mid eighties and it was dry. There's no humidity and it's an old, um, an old sand pit. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of in a bowl. So very little air movement. Uh, it was just hot and, dusty and dry and um so yeah 
Yeah. Well, that's really, yeah, that's really cool that you can come back to Abenaki and sort of have that story for your, your members and, you know, they can say, Hey, he was involved with the U S open. So that's really cool. Yeah. They, they really enjoyed that. They yeah. keep asking me if I'm going to do it again. And, uh, I'd love to go down to the, to the country club, uh, when they host. That would be a good one. Here? Yeah. Uh, it's 20, 22, maybe. Yeah. It's either next year or the year after. I can't remember. Um, yeah, that's going to be a really cool one. It'll be interesting because that, that course isn't overly long, but maybe they've made a few modifications. Um, that would yeah. be, that'll be a good one. Yeah. Um, so Robert, let's, let's get into the wicked fire round. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't tell you the questions advance, so we'll see how you nope. do here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how about, how about, how about your top five courses in Maine? Top five. Um, I'm a sucker for old, old golf courses. I just love the architecture. So I, I gotta go, um, Cape Arundel. No, in no particular order. Cape Arundel, Prout's Neck, uh, Portland, York and Abenaki. I haven't got up north too much. You know, there's a lot of courses I'd like to play up there that I haven't had an opportunity, which probably might make that list, but, mm-hmm. you know, Kibo and Waterville, uh, just a bunch I got to get Oh, to. you haven't played Kibo? Nope. Northeast yeah. Harbor, I want to get there. Yeah, Kibo would probably be right there for you then. Yep. If you like that sort of old school style. Mm-hmm. Just watch out for Taft Bunker. I know uh, you got a connection <laughs> with him. So, um, how about your uh, your favorite club outside of Maine? Whether you've played it or not, just maybe a place that either you'd like to play, or maybe if you were sort of like in a dream scenario outside of Abenaki, where you'd like to be super, maybe. Um, I would say to play it would be the old course at St Andrews. Mm-hmm. I'd love to play there um, and to somewhere, somewhere, a dream job to work. Uh, yeah. Maybe you got a week there just as a <laughs> vacation. <laughs> as a vacation. How about uh, Torrey Pines? Just because the views are equally yeah. as good as, if not better than Abenaki. That's a good spot. Yeah. Um, how about one change you'd like to see in the game? Um. One change I'd like to see in the game, I think I would like to see hmm, that's a tough one. I'd like to see maybe distance on tour. Kind of scale back a little bit. I think it's getting it's getting kind of crazy. You know? Are you a are you a bifurcation guy or are you uh let's do it across the game, let's just pull it back a little bit? I think across, across the yeah. game, you know, yeah. I mean, cause and a lot of new golf courses now are being built at extremely long yardage and they're just, they're making them harder and harder. They're not quite as friendly to your high handicapper. And I think it's just a bit of a trickle down effect from the, from the pros to mm-hmm. the amateur golfers. And so, you know, you brought up Tony fee. Now, if he swung all out and, um, Kind of like Bryson does, and reached his full backswing potential because he he doesn't swing it that long. Yeah, there's videos of him where he he'd easily be the longest player on tour. He just freaking pounds it. It's scary. I think, I think back in 2015 he was right up there the the you know the, the yeah. highest 
average and he was crushing the ball. And I think he said recently that he kind of, he's scaling back a little bit. He's getting more accurate yeah. here. He's just, um, but yeah, he's, he's a beast. He was, it was unbelievable to see firsthand. Yeah, it's, uh, but you're right. I, I, I truly feel like there, it needs to be looked at, which it sounds like the USGA has looked at it. I don't know if there's any imminent changes to that, but um, I sort of other thing too, is I go to these golf courses and it seems like the speed of the greens has gotten faster every single year. And there's times I, I mean, I'll, I'll put up to a hole and it'll just, it'll roll by like five, six, and then I'll just keep going. And I'm like, you know, because the wind gets there, it's on a slope and these greens were never meant to be that fast. And it's just, it's interesting that it's become the norm to say, Oh, these greens aren't fast enough. Oh, they aren't smooth enough. And uh, you know, the game was never really like that. And up until probably the last 10 years or so. And it's just like every year they get faster. It's just yeah. great. Look what happened at Shinnecock just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's particularly true in the Northeast. Um, a lot of undulating greens and, Oh and, yeah. And they were built, they weren't built for the speeds we're seeing today. Uh, I mean, golf originally golf was put on, on sand, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, green speeds get a little crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, usually it's it's what the members want, what the what the players want. But you know, it, if we're serious about pace of play, yeah, you know, green speed is a major. major oh, I part. I major love part. like a smooth nine ten. That's all. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. That's about what we do here at Abenaki. Yeah, I, see, you get I, up you get up to like fourteen. Like it's fun once in a while, but I I just like some of these clubs that like you know the members are playing there every day. I'm like, how how do they? How can they live with this? They're, they must just be, you know, banging their heads every day when they come out here. So yeah, I'll tell you, uh, a little, I'll tell you a quick story. I played at a at a golf course this fall. I'm not going to name it, um, but a member invited me to play, and uh, so I went down there in the fall and we played. And I played with two other members. This guy's buddy, a couple of his buddies, and uh, they apologized to me like three or four times for the green speed. They said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Bob. Usually they're a lot faster. You know, they're a lot smoother usually." And I'm thinking. These things are great. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> you know, like you said, they're probably a nine ten smooth. You know, yeah. So. No, they they think Augusta National and the U.S. Open are the norms, and it's like mm -hmm. no, the norm should be, you know, the British Open, where they're like nine to eleven on the stem and slower, and, and you know maybe they're a little bumpy or something. But that's how it's that's how I feel like golf should the normal <laughs> golf courses should play. But yeah. Anyway, so how about your Favorite golf movie? Is it Caddyshack? <laughs> uh, it's not Caddyshack. I think Caddyshack did more damage to the superintendent profession. Than, <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's a great movie. I love it. But I would say, uh, um, there's a movie that came out about old Tom Morris. Um, I can't. The name of it is escaping me. But um, I really love that movie. Hmm. I wish I could think of that. I don't think I've seen that one. I, yeah. I'd say I'd probably go with Tin Cup for myself. I like that movie a lot. Tin Cup's a good one. And yeah. uh, Kevin Cosner is one of the guys who I'd met at Cape Arundel growing up. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, he was cool. They, um, who was it that was talking? Um, the guy from that movie. 
from CBS. I'm blanking on his name. Or he used to work for CBS. He does the commentary. Uh, Gary McCord. Mm-hmm. I heard a podcast with him where he talked about how he had to give Costner lessons for that movie. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, that's that was a good one. Oh, that movie is called uh, Tommy's Honor. Tommy's Arn- Honor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tommy's Honor. All right, I'll have to watch that. Yeah. Well, Robert, we uh, we thank you for coming on, and um, I'm sure you're staying busy even through the winter months, and there's so yeah. many things that these golf courses can always improve and I guess get better. But it sounds mm-hmm. like you got a pretty pretty good spot there, sort of a dream spot at Abenaki. Yeah, it really is. I love it. I, I love it here. I love the members. Love the area. So no, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you guys can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Maine Golf Talk. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and several other hosts, I believe. So uh, if you guys can offer any ratings and feedback, we certainly appreciate it. And this has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk.